looking at one verse, and then from there we'll be all over the Bible uh, tonight as we continue our series on the Holy Spirit. John 15, verse 26. The Bible says there, But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, the Holy Ghost. He's called here by Jesus, the Comforter. The title of the message tonight is this, The Holy Spirit, Our Comforter. Let's pray. Lord, tonight as we dive in and look at a very encouraging topic, Lord, in our lives, a necessary one. God, would you help us again to be encouraged, pushed toward, um, willing to submit and yield our hearts and give the Holy Spirit control of our life, our emotions, our thoughts, our actions, our direction. And Lord, there are so many benefits if we'll just yield and submit and give up, give in and let you lead and call the shots. So, Lord, may tonight we walk out incentivized yet a little bit more to give you control. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. One thing is certain through life, and that is emotional pain and hurt. Certain. Jesus reminds us that the rain falls on the just and the unjust. If you are going to live a long life, then you're going to know what it means to hurt. You're going to know what it means to cry. You're going to know what it means to deal with disappointments and depression and pain. You say, well, Pastor, getting saved surely would take a lot of that away, would it not? And the answer is no, it takes none of it away. Just because you're saved doesn't mean that you're somehow able to stay away from cancer or that your loved ones won't ever die or that you'll never get sick or a loved one won't get sick or that uh, a spiritual leader won't leave your life and leave you devastated or that there won't be disappointments. Oh my, the disappointments that we face in life. I think of uh, parents that have an adult child that goes wayward, how that crushes them. I think about a husband whose wife loses her mind and runs off on him, or a wife that loses her husband to sin and, 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 and bad decision-making. I, um, I think of church members that choose to live a life of sin and hurt the shepherd in his heart, or the pastor that chooses to live a life of sin and devastates and cuts and hurts so many that looked up to him as a spiritual leader. And I look at all of these things, and one thing I am certain of, and that is that if you are going to live uh, uh, and be alive in this world, you're going to know pain and hurt and devastation and disappointment. You're going to have unmet expectations. You're going to be uh, 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 discouraged. You're going to be bothered, molested uh, in your heart and your soul, and you're going to want to know what's going on. And you got, I, I remind you that Jesus told us the rain falls on both the just 
and the unjust. Cancer comes to the saved just like it does to the lost. Uh, loved ones die for people that are saved just like they do for the lost. Uh, leadership lets us down that are saved just like it does to the lost. You say, well, pastor, then why in the world would I get saved if, if, uh, if my life isn't going to get any better and I'm not going to be free from all of these things that you're talking about? Pastor, you're not really selling salvation here. Hey, here's the big difference maker is that you see those that are saved, they have a shepherd who can comfort them in the storm. Those that are saved, the shepherd has placed the Holy Spirit inside of their hearts to comfort them during that storm. I want you to imagine that you have a group of sheep out in the field with no shepherd to guide them. And a storm comes and the sheep scatter every which direction. And then in a field adjacent to it, there's a shepherd who's taken the time to put a fence up around the field and he's taken the time to pull the sheep in close to him when the storm comes and yes the rain is pounding just as hard on this field as well but there's a shepherd there who has his arms around those sheep and has them in close and with his voice he's calming them with his staff he's pulling them in close and he's loving them and he's assuring them That it's all going to be okay. My friend, the storm falls on both fields. But one one field has a shepherd, the other field does not. That shepherd, Jesus Christ, he is the good shepherd. And while he shepherds us from heaven, he has placed the Holy Spirit inside of us to comfort us during life's storm. Now, we began uh, uh, the Holy Spirit talking about him being the paraclete a few weeks back and we read this verse and after reading the verse i entitled the sermon the holy spirit our lawyer and uh, we've looked now at the holy spirit our lawyer we've looked at the holy spirit our instructor and now tonight we're going to look at the holy spirit our comforter now when i when i dove into the bible and began to study and prepare and put together Thoughts about the Holy Spirit, our comforter. Can I tell you a little something about your pastor? I planned on preaching this sermon by this title three weeks ago. But as I began to look for clear-cut examples of the Holy Spirit comforting somebody, they weren't easily found. You say, but pastor, he's called the comforter by Jesus. I know that. And tonight I'm going to show you that he does comfort us and he comforted people in the Bible. But it's not just all that obvious as a quick uh, search of the Bible would be. Uh, As I began to dig and study and prepare for this message, as I began to uncover the truth and pray that God would give me uh, intellect and, and understanding and the ability to discern the scriptures to be able to put this sermon together and out, uh, God did what he always does. He gave me more material than I have time to preach. And so I developed two outlines for tonight. And for those of you that like to study the Bible and take the uh, topic that's preached and dig deeper, I'm going to run through the first outline I developed by way of introduction, I'm not going to preach it. I'm going to give you the outline and the verses, and then I'm going to allow you on your own to go in and study it deeper. So let me give you this outline, and then we'll jump into the main outline. Here's the outline really quick. The Spirit comforts us through our adoption, through our adoption. Romans 8, 15 says, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. You know, when my kids are little, and uh, they are little, but when my kids are discouraged over something, one of the things I'm able to do is say, 
Life might be tough on you right now, but it's a whole lot harder on people who live in another part of the world or live in a broken home or don't have what you have. Sometimes the way that we're comforted by the Holy Spirit is that we are reminded that we have been adopted by the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So the Spirit comforts us through our adoption. There's a lot more verses that talk about our adoption in relation to the Spirit. But Romans 8, 15 is one. You can dig deeper yourself. Number two, notice we are, uh, the Spirit comforts us uh, by providing access. By providing access. Ephesians 2, 18 says, For through Him we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. Now, Jesus' death on the cross provided that access, but it is the Spirit of God that continues that access. And how does that provide us comfort? Well, when we uh, life's beating down on us, And we need it out. We need somewhere to go. We can turn to the God of heaven who's all powerful and all caring. And we can go and lay our burdens at his feet. And my friend, that is a truth that ought to deeply comfort your heart. Not only does this Holy Spirit provide us comfort through our adoption and by providing access, but notice thirdly that he provides us comfort through his aid. Through his aid. Listen to Romans 8.26 and listen to the comfort of the verse. It says, likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. What infirmities? What does that word infirmity mean? It means sickness. You ever been sick? I mean, no, your temperature was fine and you checked out at the doctor. But you ever been sick anyway? You ever just wanted to go sit on your bed and close the door and not talk to anyone for a week? Life doesn't always provide us that option, but have you ever been there? Sick. Emotionally sick. Socially sick. Spiritually sick. Even physically sick. The Bible tells us here in Romans 8, 26, that the Spirit helpeth our infirmities. You know, if you will submit to the Holy Spirit and let Him call the shots from within you, Boy, when you get to those times of sickness, he's there to help your infirmities. There are times in college I would run myself so ragged. I was talking to some young ladies before the service who uh, either are in college or recently finished, and we were talking about the crazy schedule a college kid keeps. And um, they had a system that would allow you to get out of class but not lose points off your grade or be counted um, uh, uh, an unexcused absence. In the morning, you had to go down to the college clinic. You had to be seen by the college nurse, and then the college nurse would give you an infirmity pass, and you'd hang that on the door. And I got to tell you that it is good to know that we can go to the Holy Spirit, and He can give us an infirmity pass. He can give us some medicine. You know, there are times I'd go to the uh, clinic, and it wasn't that I had a raised temperature. It was that I had slept like eight hours in the last seven days. And I was just exhausted. I'd go in, I just need some sleep. And the Holy Spirit gives rest to those that are weary. So how does the Holy Spirit comfort us? Well, He comforts us through His aid. Number four, He comforts us with human affection. With human affection. I want you to turn over to this verse. Isaiah 61.1, will you? Isaiah 61.1 was a double, was a, uh, had double meaning to it. You see, this was Isaiah's talking about himself as he ministered to the Israelites. But this was also Isaiah's prophecy about Jesus. Because Jesus in Luke 4.18 would turn around and pick up a scroll in the synagogue early in his ministry. 
and he would read from Isaiah 61.1, and he would talk about how that, that was a prophecy of his coming. Now, look here about Isaiah and Jesus, really God's man and God's servants. It says there, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Who is upon him? The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Now, what is that supposed to do? Because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. You know what that is? That's words of comfort. Look out, Look there. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison of them that are bound. Yes, the Holy Spirit works within us, but the Holy Spirit also works in fellow believers to, to, to provide us comfort. You ever been in a really low spot? You weren't telling anybody about it? And a brother or sister in Christ came along and maybe they put their arm around your shoulder? And they said, I know something's not right. And I'm praying for you. And I love you. You ever had a death in your family or been sick in a hospital and had a brother or sister in Christ send you a letter or stop by and... They didn't really say anything earth-shattering. They just sat by your bedside and just kept you company and prayed with you. You know, one of the things that was a challenge to me early on in my ministry years is, and you, I guess everyone could understand this, but dealing with death is tough as a pastor. Someone close to you dies. What, what, what am I supposed to say? To make your pain go away. And I was very intimidated by that. And I was talking to an older, more seasoned man in the ministry. And he said to me, it's not about what you say. It's that you're there. It's that you're there. You know what? The Holy Spirit sends me and you along the side of a hurting sibling in Christ. And through our affection, we provide comfort. The Holy Spirit moves within us to provide comfort to others. This evening, I propose that living life without the comfort of the Holy Spirit, well, that's a tough way to live. That brings about depression and darkness and hardships. Think about those sheep scattered in the field with no shepherd. The storm is raging. Life lived with the Holy Spirit in control becomes bearable and sustainable no matter how awful the storm. Why? Because his comfort is real and authentic. His comfort is proportionate to your need. What does the Bible say? It says, my grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient. We're going to jump in tonight, and I saved what I believe to be the superior outline for the body of the sermon here. We're going to look at three biblical examples of how the Holy Spirit's comfort can be found through the lives and the events of people's lives. So we're going to look at three different Bible stories, and we're going to look at three different ways the Holy Spirit comforted in these three different Bible stories. So let's jump right in tonight and see this. Number one, notice Joseph's comfort during tribulation. Joseph's comfort during tribulation. You say, well, hold on just a minute, Pastor. I thought that the Holy Spirit only indwelled the New Testament believer. 
And to that I would say, you are correct. He only, he only possessed all of the New Testament believers. But the Holy Spirit did choose to possess certain Old Testament figures. Not all of them. Certain Old Testament figures. Another important note, and I believe we covered this in our sermon. We looked at uh, the, the Holy Spirit's role throughout the Bible. But the Holy Spirit could enter into a, a person and leave that person. And that did not mean that they were saved or lost. You remember King Saul? Holy Spirit came upon King Saul. And uh, I did some reading and studying of that this week. But then King Saul made some very bad decisions and the Holy Spirit left King Saul. And an evil spirit entered him instead. You say, well, does that mean that he lost his salvation? It does not mean he lost his salvation. It's different in the Old Testament than it is in the New Testament. But certain Old Testament characters, the Holy Spirit would possess uh, like, they, like he does a New Testament believer. If you're saved today, uh, the Holy Spirit has possessed you. That, was, that is unique to the church age. Uh, God the Father was the main one that interacted with those in the Old Testament. Jesus Christ interacted with humanity in the beginning of the New Testament. And then the Holy Spirit is the main interactor now. Throughout the different dispensations of the Bible, a different part of the Godhead has been the main interactor. We live in the time where the Holy Spirit is the main interactor. But we go back to the Old Testament and we see Joseph and the main interactor in Joseph's life was the Holy Spirit. Let me prove it to you. Turn over there to Genesis chapter 41 and verse 38 if you've not already done so. Genesis 41, 38. I encourage you to turn back because we're going to look at several verses in Genesis here. But Genesis chapter 41 and verse 38. Again, not every Old Testament character, uh, person, saint, was possessed with the Holy Spirit, but Joseph was. And it was a secular man that took note of it. Look at verse 38. And Pharaoh said unto his servants, Can we find such a one as this is, a man in whom the Spirit of God is? It was so evident that the Holy Spirit was calling the shots in Joseph's life that a secular King took note. Wow. That's how I want to live my life. When I come in contact with other people that aren't even saved, they say the Spirit of God is in that man and controlling that man. Now, it makes a whole lot of sense to me as you look at Joseph's life that the Holy Spirit was there to help him along the way. Because if anyone had a tough, a tough road to walk, it was Joseph. If anyone could have thrown in the towel and quit and, been, uh, and, and had a rational reason to do so, it was Joseph. Let me quickly give you an A, B, C, and a D here. Notice letter A. He was betrayed by his family. He was betrayed by his family. You'll see the verses up there. I would encourage you to turn back later or jot those down, turn back later and look at them. Uh, I got up a little later than normal, so I'm going to rush through some of this. But he was betrayed by his family. Some of you here tonight know what it's like to be betrayed by a husband, by a wife, by a child, by your parents, by your siblings. And it hurts. It hurts. And you say, God, I need you to comfort me. And we can look at Joseph in the Bible and we can see what it is like to have your own brothers rip your coat off, throw you down in a pit, uh, intend to kill you, have one of the brothers talk the other uh, 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 ten or the other eleven out of murder, and then sell you away as a slave. 
They put Joseph on the back of that caravan and hoped to never see him again. And then lied to dad about that he was killed by some animal. Some of you here tonight are facing betrayal by your family. And you say, Pastor, where is God? And I'm here to tell you, God is in the same place in you that he was in Joseph when Joseph was betrayed. And God pulled Joseph through and God can pull you through. He can pull you through. Let her be noticed, he was bought as a slave. He was bought as a slave. Genesis 39 verse 1 tells us about Potiphar buying up, uh, uh, buying up Joseph as a slave. And uh, he moved in as just the scum of the earth slave and was probably made to scrub floors and treated like some sort of animal, stripped naked and put up on a block. Uh, Potiphar comes along, a powerful man in Egypt, and buys him up like he's some piece of meat or some piece of cattle and brings him in as this Hebrew boy and he doesn't speak the language, he doesn't know the culture, he doesn't probably even like the food, but he's got to go in as a little slave and he's got to work and you got to say how humiliating and degrading that must have been to be treated so awful. What got Joseph through? What comforted Joseph and kept him straight through such a hard time? It was the Holy Spirit of God that was in him. Let her see, we see he was, uh, his reputation was besmirched by a woman, besmirched or tainted by a woman. Genesis 39, we find the story of how Joseph's work ethic and character and yielding to the Holy Spirit, Joseph had climbed to the top of being a slave. Yes, he was still a slave, but Potiphar trusted Joseph so much, he had given him control of his entire house. He said, Joseph, here's my checkbook. Joseph, here's my uh, 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 food supply for my house. Joseph, you run everything. You make sure that my camel gets maintenance instead of his car. You can laugh. That's okay. You make sure that uh, the AC in the house gets taken care of and they come by and change out the filters. Joseph, I'm going to leave and come, and I trust you so much, I'm not even going to make sure that there's a, a check-in place to make sure that you're behaving yourself. That's how well-trusted Joseph was. Joseph was so well-loved that even Potiphar's wife caught Joseph's eye. And she said, I want Joseph to be with me. So she flirted with him. And she flirted with him. And she flirted with him. And Joseph refused her advances. Why? Well, the Holy Spirit of God was living inside of him, and he knew that was wrong. He was a man living his life out of habit, yielded to the Holy Spirit. And one day he went into the house to take care of some business. That wicked woman had made sure that everyone else was gone, knowing his schedule. Joseph was probably a principled and scheduled man. And he came in and she said to him, Joseph, I want you to be with me romantically. And Joseph said, how can I do this wicked thing? You do not belong to me. You belong to my master. And so he turned to run and leave. And she reached out and grabbed his coat. He wiggled out of his jacket and off he took. And she went and laid down on her bed and made herself look sad and laid that coat by her. And when her husband came home, she said, uh, 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 Joseph tried to violate me and Joseph tried to hurt me. And Joseph is taking his power too far and lied about him, lied about him. I got to tell you tonight that in my opinion, I don't think that Potiphar believed his wife. Potiphar had the power to have Joseph killed. I think Potiphar knew the character of Joseph. And I think Potiphar knew the character of his wife. Joseph had, Potiphar had no choice but to punish Joseph. So he put Joseph in prison. Letter D, notice, he was belittled in prison. 
Joseph climbed to the top. Daddy's favorite at home. Thrown in a pit and sold. Joseph climbed to the top as a slave and then slammed back down in the prison of a proprietor, never to be seen again as he thought it to be. Joseph, Genesis 39, 20 says, Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound, and he was there in the prison. You know, what kept Joseph going when life just kept kicking him in the teeth? The Holy Spirit of God and His comfort. His comfort. Some of you right now have faced a whirlwind of problems. You're trying to do right. And every time you seem to clog your way out of the pit, wham! Someone else's sin just sends you right back down and you get kicked in the mouth. Right back down to the bottom of the pit. And you say, Pastor, I'm tired. I can't keep doing this. And I'm here to tell you that if Joseph stayed faithful to his principles... Joseph says, say faithful was right because he had the Holy Spirit of God comforting him along the way. Number two, we see Israel's comfort during temptation. We looked at Joseph's comfort during tribulations. Those were the sins of others against him. But how about the nation of Israel? The nation of Israel is guilty of their own sin. They say, will God comfort me in my own sin? If your heart's right, yes. If your attitude changes, yes. Can I tell you something? I read the Old Testament, and I read the story of Israel. Every time, I get so put out with the Israelites. Am I alone on that? What's wrong with you people? Why do you keep behaving like this? And every time, God seems to um, say to me, they're just the corporate version of your life. Um, They were chosen by God. You have been chosen by God. Um, They neglected me. Sometimes you neglect me. Yeah, I guess that's true. Um, They were blessed beyond measure. Covenant after covenant was made with them. You got the Davidic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant. You got lots of covenants. God chose them and blessed them beyond measure. But you know what they did? They complained. Nonstop. And I read their story. And I see their complaining. And I, I start complaining about their complaining. Will you knucklehead stop complaining? And the Holy Spirit says... You're blessed beyond measure. You live in the richest country in the history of the world. You have more things than some kings a hundred years ago would have ever even dreamed of. And you complain. You complain. You know, the Israelites were loved by an impressive, all-powerful God. But they became enamored by the glitz and glam of broken and weak idols. God says, you're guilty of that one too, bud. You're guilty of that one too. You've been loved beyond measure. You've been saved from the pit of hell. uh, Your feet have been put on the narrow path to heaven. You're, you're, You're loved beyond all comprehension. And you turn and you get distracted by sin. God says, your idolatry is covetousness and stubbornness. It's easy to get frustrated with Israelites. But then God reminds me that I'm the same way as they are. 
Now, you know the cycle found in Judges, right? You know the cycle. Sin, slavery, sorrow, and salvation. And then that generation would die off, and their children would grow up, and then they would take their eyes off God and put them on idols, and you'd have sin. And then God would say, hey, wait, I chose you. I, I love you, and you're neglecting me. So slavery, they'd come in, and they'd get carried away, and then after some time in slavery and pain, uh, they would have a sorrow, a godly sorrow under repentance, and then God would raise up a judge, and they would be saved from slavery and taken back to their land. And then it would happen over and over and over again. I've got to say that same pattern is true in our lives, isn't it? Sin. And then God sends His hand of punishment. And then once He spanked us hard enough, we start to sorrow. And then He sends His saving grace to help us out of that spot. It's in the sorrow. Please don't miss this point. It's in the sorrow over our sin that God sends His comfort on our hearts. If you've done wrong, if you've done wrong and you are rebellious about your sin and you are not willing to confront your sin and own it and apologize for it, God is not going to comfort you in your sin. But you have sinned, you have bowed your head, and you have confessed it with a broken spirit. The Holy Spirit comes right along and puts his hand around you and he says, I love you and I'm here to comfort you. Now, interestingly enough, God chose four very odd people to fill with the Spirit in the book of Judges. And I'm going to go over them with you quickly here. Notice letter A, Othniel the warrior. Othniel the warrior. They had sinned, and they had been carried away into captivity. Uh, let's see here. By the, by the uh, Chushan, the Chushan Rishathiams. I don't know how to say that. But they were in trouble, and God sent a country in to take them out. Judges chapter 3. Verses 9 and 10, the Bible says, When the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. Notice the crying unto the Lord. The, the sorrow under repentance. The Lord raised up a deliverer of the children of Israel, which delivered them, even Othniel, the son of Kinzaz, Caleb's younger brother. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he judged Israel and went out to war. And the Lord delivered that uh, delivered them out of the hand of, uh, of, of, of that group, king of Met, uh, Mesopotamia, uh, into his hand, and his hand prevailed against those people. So Othniel was a warrior. He stood up, and as a warrior, he led them out. And God can use the oddest of people to comfort us when we have fallen to sin. Let her be noticed, Gideon the worried. Gideon the worried. Judges chapter 6, we find an angel of the Lord come down to Gideon. Judges chapter 6, verse 34 says this, But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew a trumpet. And Abiezer was gathered uh, after him. So here you have Gideon down in the valley, and he's threshing wheat. You don't thresh wheat in the valley. There's no wind generally in the valley. You thresh wheat up on a hill where it can be more effective. And he's throwing the wheat in the air, and he's not making a lot of progress. He's down there wringing his hands. As I've stated before, he was the lowest man on the totem pole in Israel. And the angel of the Lord shows up and calls him a mighty man of valor. He's like, me? A mighty man of valor? He said, let me tell you why you're going to be a mighty man of valor. Because my Holy Spirit is going to come in and possess you. And my Holy Spirit is going to make you a mighty man of valor. 
God used Gideon to lead the Israelites uh, out from underneath the hand of captivity of the Midianites. And 300 men were used to, to deliver Israel from an army of several hundred thousand. So God used Othniel, the warrior, to comfort Israel uh, in their sorrow. He used Gideon, the worried. Let her see. Notice he used Jephthah, the witless. Jephthah, the witless. Turn over to Judges chapter 11. Jephthah was not the smartest the smartest guy in the country. Jephthah did something that was very, very, very foolish. Look at verse 29. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, and he passed over Gideon and Manasseh, and passed over Mizpah of Gilead. And from the Mizpah of Gilead, he passed over unto the children of Amnon. And Jephthah vowed a vow unto the Lord and said, if thou, shalt deliver, uh, without, if thou shalt without fail deliver the children of Amnon into mine hands, he went on to say that I will give, I will sacrifice to you the very first thing that comes walking out of the door of my house. So God did deliver them out of the hands of the Ammonites. And he's come walking in from battle. And guess what comes walking out the door to greet him? His daughter. Oh, he thought some animal was going to come walking out. It was his daughter. Well, he was sorrowful, but he kept his vow. And he offered up his daughter. Listen, God can use people that are not very smart to accomplish His will. Letter D, notice, Samson the womanizer. Samson the womanizer. Turn over to Judges chapter 14, verse number 6. The Bible says there, And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he rent him as he would have rent a kid. And he had nothing in his hand, and he told not his father or mother what he had done. Three times... In uh, Judges, we see the Spirit of the Lord comes mightily upon Samson. And what happens when the Spirit comes upon him is he has supernatural, superhuman type strength. And he's able to accomplish incredible feats with that. At this point, the Israelites have fallen uh, due to their sin. They've fallen into slavery to the Philistines. And Samson was used to be God's judge to help bring them out from captivity. But you see, Samson had a sin problem and his weakness was women. There was the woman from Timnah that's not named. There was the prostitute from Gaza. And then the only one that was named was Delilah. And Delilah led him in a, uh, through a series of events, led him to have his hair cut off where his strength was found. And when his hair was gone, so was his strength. The Spirit of the Lord departed him. You say, well, pastor, did the Spirit of the Lord leave Samson because his hair was gone? No, the Spirit of the Lord left Samson because Samson disobeyed the Lord. When we quit, we quit obeying God, his power uh, ceases to be there. And Samson lost the power of God because he quit obeying the Lord and he gave in to that. Now, in the introduction, we looked at how the Spirit comforts us. The fourth point I gave you was that he comforts us with human affection. We're talking about when we sin. How many of you here have ever felt... I really want you to think about this question, and I really want you to participate in the answer. How many of you have ever felt the chastening hand of the Lord in your life? Would you hold up your hand for me? Hold them up for a minute. How many of you have ever felt the chastening hand of the Lord? Now, you can put them down. If you didn't raise your hand, that's a problem. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. Either you're living perfect, 
So he's never needed to chasten you, and that would be none of us. If God has never chastened you, there's a chance you're not saved. Because whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, even as a son, in whom he delighteth. You know, I've got to tell you that when I got spanked as a little boy growing up, I was not exactly happy. I was usually grabbing my backside and screaming at the top of my lungs. And when God spanks me as a Christian, I don't grab my backside and run around in circles anymore. But I generally sit on the edge of my bed or in my office chair and I weep. The Holy Spirit at that point, when he sees that we're sorrowful, he puts his arm around us and he comforts us. And sometimes he uses the oddest of people in our lives to comfort us. Just like he used Othniel and Jephthah, just like he used Gideon and Samson. We see the Holy Spirit's com- the, Joseph's comfort during tribulation, Israel's comfort during temptation. Notice number three, and lastly, Stephen's comfort during torture. Stephen's comfort during torture. Stephen, as we know, to be the very first martyr for the cause of Christ. 2 Timothy 3.12 tells us, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. If you're not suffering persecution, there's a good chance you're not living godly in Christ Jesus. Your, your faith is not radical enough for Jesus. Now, let me uh, put out some qualifiers of that statement. You're not to be a jerk to get people to persecute you. Everybody understand that? We don't go to gay parades and get in people's face with the Bible so we can be persecuted. That's not how this works. You're to live your life through a normal routine that is so radical for the Lord that other people distance themselves from you. And when the day comes, when the culture comes, that loving Jesus is worthy of persecution, then you don't back down. You don't back down. You willing to go to jail for your Jesus, the way so many missionaries have in foreign lands, the way so many people did early on in their stand for the translating of the Bible and the founding of, 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 of a Baptist church and the belief that baptism isn't for babies, it's for people who believe? Yea, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall, shall suffer persecution. If anyone needed to be reminded that the Holy Spirit was a comforter during times of extreme torture, it was the Christians of the first church. You remember James was killed? Stephen martyred? One of the apostles, I believe, was quartered behind four horses. Another was drugged behind a horse to the streets until his inwards started falling out. Andrew was crucified on an X-shaped cross. Peter was crucified upside down. There's a reason why Jesus looked at his disciples as he's walking toward the Mount of Olives where he'll be arrested. And he says, I'm going to leave you, but I'm going to send the comforter. Why? Because you're going to be tortured for your faith. You're going to need to be comforted. Our attention this evening is turned to Stephen. Turn over to Acts chapter 6 with me. Stephen was in the group of the first seven deacons ever selected to be a deacon. Letter A, let's look at his selection. His selection. What qualified Stephen to be a deacon? On the back table we have that paper. 
I've got this paper right here that talked about the requirements to be a biblical deacon. Can I tell you what 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13 describes, which is broken down here? It describes a man that's filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the qualifier. Now, that has some tangible things about it, and that's what's outlined here. But look at Acts chapter 6, verse 3 with me. It says, Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, speaking of the selecting of deacons, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. So Stephen was selected to be a deacon. He was selected to do that based on his being filled with the Holy Ghost. Not just indwelled by the Holy Ghost, but yielded to and filled with and baptized by the Holy Ghost. Look down to verse 8. Look down to verse 8, Acts 6. And Stephen, full of faith, full of power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Look down to verse 12. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and came unto him. And caught him and brought him to the council and set up false witnesses, which said, this man, this man ceaseth not to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses delivered us. And all that sat in the councils looked steadfastly on him, saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. He was so filled with the power of God. He was so filled uh, with God's strength and so yielded to the Holy Ghost that his face began to glow like an angel. Stephen took a strong stand for, for the Lord in a time where it was very unpopular to do so. And he, he was tortured for that. Look at letter B. Look at his sermon. His sermon. Time tonight does not allow me to go through his entire sermon. It's very long. But what did he do? He went all the way back to Moses and the prophets. And he told the story about how everyone who's taken a stand for right has had a group of Israelites to torture them and persecute them and punish them. He goes through and tells the whole story. And when he gets down to current events, he looks at these people that are uh, 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 the, on the other side of the, of the council and says to them, you are the children of those that persecuted the prophets. Wow. Ouch. You're talking about a zinger. You're talking about getting your toes stepped on. Boy, Stephen was, was uh, fire and brimstone on those Pharisees. They didn't take too well to that. But Stephen wasn't backing down. Letter C, notice, is stoning. Is stoning. Now again, the idea here is that the Holy Spirit comforts us when we take a stand for what's right. And we suffer social pain, social hurt, and even death for it. Look at verse, seven of chapter, or verse 57 of chapter 7. It says, then they cried out with a loud voice. This is what happened as a result of his uh, sermon. I want you to picture this. The council, they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep or he died. They put him down in a pit. They got giant, giant rocks, boulders, 
And first it was just rocks in the hands being thrown at him. And then boulders began to get rolled down this hill and began to crush him and kill him. He falls down to his knees and he looks up to heaven and he says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit and, and don't lay my death at their hands. He forgave them. Doesn't that sound like what Jesus said when he died on the cross? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You know, one of the men there that was overseeing the stoning, his name is Saul. And Saul looked down and he took note of this man's testimony. And I believe that began the pricking of the conscience. And one day, God would knock that man off his horse and say, Saul, it is hard for me to kick thee against the pricks. Or you're not giving in to conviction. And Saul said, Lord, what would you have me to do? Saul was ready to get saved, in part because of what Stephen had done. How was Stephen able to do something so supernatural? The Holy Spirit, he was filled with him. And the Holy Spirit was providing that comfort during time of torture. Listen, folks. Leaning on the Holy Spirit to be your comforter just when someone close to you dies... That's important. I don't want to uh, uh, minimalize that. But there is so much more comfort He has to offer you. Every Sunday morning I ask this question. I say, how many of you are going through a very difficult trial in your life? And there's always somewhere between 6 and 12 hands that are raised. You know, if you'll yield to the Holy Spirit, He'll comfort you in a way that will give you a peace that passes all understanding. But you've got to yield to Him. That comfort is only there if you yield to Him. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. Over the last several weeks, I have made a strong case as to why you need to quit calling the shots in your heart and as to why you need to start letting the Holy Spirit be in charge. Are you ready for Him to be your paraclete? Are you ready for Him to, to advocate for you, to instruct you how to live and to comfort you through life's troubles and trials. Folks, having the Holy Spirit indwell you and not use Him, not use all of the benefits He has to provide, is the biggest tragedy of the Christian life. Don't do that. Don't do that. Miss Rachel, if you could find the song in the hymnal, Have Thine Own Way, Lord. In a minute, we're going to sing this song. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Are you clay in the hands of God, or is your stubborn will getting in the way? Can He mold you and make you just as He would? Or are you saying, no, there's some areas I'm not, I'm not going to give in to. I'm not going to give in to. Holy Spirit... This section of my heart is mine. Keep your hands off. Why are you doing that? Is it your TV habits? Is it your relationships? Is it your hobbies? Is it your mouth? Is it the substances that you take in? Is it your music? What is it that you're saying to God? Nope. Nope. Not that one, Lord. That one stays. You see, because when you do that, you forfeit all of the benefits that the Holy Spirit has to offer. 
Lord, tonight, would you help us to to submit, to yield? Lord, it's a process to break old habits, break bad habits, sinful habits away. But Lord, may we commit to give you every room of our heart. May we commit to let you call the shots. May we commit to let you sit on the throne of our heart. Oh God, the benefits that we'll reap when that happens. The comfort that you provide. May we know it. May we experience it. May it embody us. May it define us. In Jesus' name. Let's stand to our feet.